the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were given to the average American, the rich would have their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a really great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once it's in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So let's supercharge your wealth building plan now with Jim McAleese. Welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here, we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans, plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated. Their securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of Finrise Civic. And Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, the autumn weather this week has been great. It's been beautiful. Cool mornings and evenings and midday highs in the 70s, and the weather forecast uh, shows clear days until next Sunday, except for the possibility of rain on Monday. So we can take that one day, but we got a clear uh, shot until next uh, Sunday. And it's totally appropriate that autumn officially begins this Thursday. And there'll be lots of good days for walks and runs. I'm going to stick with the walks because that's my seed. That way I can watch nature all around me. The leaves are just barely, barely starting to change. You can, you can, they've been so vibrant, so green, that it's hard to see, but it's beginning. The trees aren't ready yet to put on their full display of reds and oranges, but if you, when you look at the forest today, you, as you drive by, you see a hint of color. And you see some of the trees are losing their leaves, but nothing as startling as it'll be in a month or two. But in any case, autumn is a great time of the year to enjoy the outdoors before old man winter arrives. And how bad can the winter be? Well, who knows? You can always check out the farmer's almanac and the, and the woolly bears, but no matter what the, the predictions are, we have to start planning for a rough winter because our fall schedules uh, have to be done before the uh, before the winter arrives. And it's no fun trying to get the snow blower running in 10 degrees temperatures, particularly since no one has looked at it since the, the end of the last winter. And working on our to-do list this weekend will distract us from the stock market and antics. This week, Global equities were down. In the U.S., the three major stock equities were down big time for the week. 
while in the UK, the FTSE 100 was down, and in the European Union, Germany's DAX and the stock Europe 600 were both down for the week. Asia, too, was mostly down. Japan's Nikkei 225 was down, along with uh, China's Shanghai Composite and Hong Kong's Hang Seng were both down for the week. On Friday, the three major stock indices closed at the Dow Jones at 30,822.42, and it was basically down 4.13% for the week. The Standard and Poor 500 closed at 3,873.33, and it was down uh, 4.77% for the week. And the NASDAQ closed at 11,448. Point four zero, and it was down 5.48% for the week. Well, what happened? Well, a week ago, equity markets were up in anticipation of a hopefully rosy consumer price index report that would come out on Tuesday. Hopefully, the consumer price index report would demonstrate that inflation had peaked and that uh, now was on a downward path. You recall that uh, the year-over-year inflation rate had gone from 9.1% in June to 8.5% in July, and the consensus expectations from the the big banks, the Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, uh, et cetera, was somewhere around 8% for August. So we were going to go down from 9.1% in June to 8.5% 8.5% in July, and we're going to be down to 8% in August. Well, if that, was, <laughs> if that was the case, if that happened, there would be less rationale for the expected three-quarters of a percent increase in the Federal Reserve rate at this uh, September, 20th, September 20th and 21st uh, Federal Open Market Committee meeting uh, uh, next week. If the CPI report had shown the inflation was coming down, then there would be more confidence in a soft landing and there would be less fear of the Federal Reserve continuing to increase rates and pushing the economy into a recession um, maybe in 2023. But the CPI data, when it was presented on Tuesday, did have some good news. Uh, The Consumer Price Index, as reported by the U.S. Department of Labor, showed that the year-over-year inflation had eased down from 8.5% in July to 8.3% in August. Well, that was short of the anticipated 8%, but it was still in the right direction. And in the short term, inflation increased one-tenth of a percent in August from July. Oh, that's not, that was okay, too. That was mainly due to gasoline prices uh, falling 10.6%, but then food prices increased to counteract part of that. But there was some bad news. The core uh, consumer price index inflation data, where uh, they neglect food and fuel prices, uh, rose a very heated six-tenths of 1% in August from July. That means it rose up almost 1% in one month. And also uh, the consumer price index, the core consumer price index, increased 6.3% in the uh, year-over-year number versus 5.9% in the year-over-year number from July. So. In both those cases, the, the monthly as well as the uh, year-over-year or the 12-month number, uh, they both increased. And, uh, for instance, the real the real numbers show that uh, they, if we, the, basically the, the CPI numbers weren't of great concern. It's those core numbers uh, where, every, where everything is included except for food and fuel. Uh, the last month, the the uh, core uh, CPI number had increased three tenths of a percent, 
from the July in July from June. This this report showed that it doubled that and increased six tenths of a percent, which means that inflation is not coming down. And if you take a look at the twelve month uh, uh, number for the core CPI in July, uh, it was five point nine percent. And in August, it moved up to 6.3%. So core inflation at 6.3% for August and uh, uh, 6.3% core at, at 6%, six ten, at core at 6 tenths of a percent for August and 6.3% year over year was basically broad-based and definitely not receding. For example, in... Um, July, uh, shelter was up five tenths of a percent. The August number was uh, seven tenths of a percent. Med- uh, medical care in July increased four tenths of a percent. In August, it increased eight tenths of a percent, double that. Uh, vehicle maintenance repair in July was up 1.1 percent. In August, it was up 1.7 percent. Uh, services in general, which are mainly labor costs and things of that nature. Uh, in July, it was up four-tenths of a percent. In August, it was up six-tenths of one percent. So that was the that was the increases in one month. So we're going to talk about the details of that later in the show, but it is basically indicative that, hey, inflation is not under control. Uh, and uh, uh, the concerns are, are that showed up in the results of the uh, stock market on Tuesday, when uh, uh, the idea here now is that uh, it's almost guaranteed that the at the Federal Open Market Committee meeting next week that the increase in the overnight rate or the federal funds rate will move up from uh, uh, two and a half to. Uh, move up three quarters of a percent from a high of two and a half to three and a quarter percent. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's credible voices on every side, uh, both sides, as to how high that overnight rate or federal funds rate can go up. And uh, uh, the idea here is that by the end of the year, it's expected to be over four percent. Uh, and there's People like uh, Larry Summers, who is the former Secretary of the Treasury, had said it could be as high as 4.5%. And his comment was, don't uh, don't underestimate how high it could go in order to uh, conquer this uh, inflation. So basically what I'm saying is that uh, what we thought inflation had peaked, well, it probably hasn't peaked. And we'll talk about that later in the show. And uh, there was some good news with regard to producer price uh, increases in August. Uh, the producer prices are the, the prices for uh, the things that are sold to suppliers. Uh, uh, the suppliers are charging businesses and distributors. So it's, you know, we see the consumer price index. That's the prices that we as consumers get hit with. Uh, the middleman is the producer price index. And what we're seeing in the, uh, in the uh, U.S. suppliers uh, cut prices in, uh, in August, a sign that inflation pressures might be easy for some items. The producer price index fell one-tenth of a percent in August from July, and uh, that is a decrease from the previous four-tenths of a percent uh, in uh, July from June. So on an annual basis, the uh, producer price index of 8.7% in August from an earlier uh, July number of 9.8%. So that was an improvement in the middleman's uh, uh, price increases. And the uh, high inflation has been a 
basically a drag on the economy, on corporations, on small businesses, on consumers, even at the present rate of uh, inflation rate of 8.3%, inflation is still very high and fairly dangerous. And there's a lot of concerns and confusion about its consequences. For example, consumers' uh, sentiment is measured by the University of Michigan survey took a big hit because of the of inflation. Consumers are more reluctant to buy cars and other major purchases because of inflation confusion. On Friday, the University of Michigan consensus consumer sentiment survey showed that the uh, the consumer sentiment index, a reflection of consumers' attitude on the state of the economy, rose slightly in early September, but is uh, down well down from the year earlier. Uh, the sentiment has gradually improved after hitting a record low in uh, June. Uh, Joanne Sue, who is the economist who directs the University of Michigan uh, survey, said that quote, after the mark after the marked improvement in sentiment in August, consumers showed signs of uncertainty about the trajectory of the economy. Uh, Friday's, unquote, Friday's survey showed that Americans exhibited high levels of uncertainty, especially towards the future path of prices, with uncertainty about short-term inflation reaching levels last seen in 1982. Consumers' expectations of future inflation did decline amid falling energy prices. So we'll talk about the consumer sentiment uh, later in the show, too. There was good news with regard to some parts of the uh, the economy, for instance, industrial production. Uh, even though industrial production in August did fall two-tenths of 1%, the manufacturing uh, part increased and uh, and uh, was up basically one-tenth of a percent in August and up 3.3% from a year earlier. And uh, in mining, mining uh, which is part of the industrial production uh, grouping, uh, that uh, is continuing at, at, a, at a good pace uh, because of the... Uh, fracking operations and the oil drilling operations. Utilities are down, uh, strictly because of the the good weather more than anything else. And uh, so industrial production uh, is down a little bit, but manufacturing is up. And then uh, we also see from some of the, the regional uh, banks, the regional Federal Reserve banks, they they generally pulse their constituents in their, their region, and uh, they published their results and indicated that the Empire State Manufacturing Index, uh, in the case where uh, they look at what's happening in terms of new orders, shipments, backlogs, Prices paid, uh, number of employees, employees, work week, all those things. It shows that there is a big improvement in manufacturing in the, in the uh, New York area. Uh, the survey of uh, the commentary from the National Federation of Independent Businesses, we'll talk about that later in the show, too. And that basically shows that AV. The uh, independent businesses, one of the greatest um, issues and greatest problems is inflation, just like it is for every business. So no matter what is happening, uh, uh, people are running into problems with regard to inflation. Uh, It's showing up in um, in inflation and uh, the reliability of the supply chain and things of this nature are all wrapped up together. If you recall, when this inflation started in, uh, I think it was started in probably March or April of last year, 
uh, was all involved with the uh, supply chains and things of this nature. Uh, the supply chains have been have improved, but they haven't improved to the point where uh, they're functioning like they used to. It's a uh, case where you have to pay attention to just about everything in the supply chain and make sure that uh, you have contingency plans if you're running a business. So all these things basically uh, talk about, and, and all these things are the macroeconomics, and they talk about what's happening in the economy uh, to give us some feel for what's happening perhaps with our investments. But even more important than the macro picture is the micro picture, and that is what's happening in our financial plan. And uh, our financial plan, uh, investments are a part of that, but they're not the major part of it. And our plan basically starts with the goals. Uh, what are your goals? Get through school, start a career, settle down and start a family, buy a house, um, start a business, retirement. All these things that uh, people want to do throughout their lives. All these things have uh, uh, money costs and schedules associated with them. And uh, not just money is a minor part of it. It's the whole thing is that there's a lot of effort. Effort goes to meeting those goals, but we do have to pay attention to the money aspects of those goals too. And that means the savings and investment. Uh, that means how much uh, for today to support the standard of living, how much for tomorrow, how to allocate the resources, how to save, uh, the short-term saving for a wedding, for a car, uh, even for a down payment on the house, uh, the long-term savings for uh, the college or for the, uh, for the youngsters or for retirement. Uh, how should that be done? The trade-offs and the risks and the rewards of short-term versus the long-term. So uh, even the changes in risk and reward as we get closer to retirement. So and, and while all this is going on in terms of our lives and our and our uh, financial plans, uh, we still have to protect ourselves against the unknowns with regard to uh, life insurance in terms of uh, uh, liability also to protect us against uh, uh, unforeseen uh, lawsuits and things of this nature. And that's why we have property and casualty insurance uh, that uh, liability, you should have enough liability insurance to cover certainly your net, at least your net worth in terms of all the assets that you do own. And above and beyond that, uh, you've got to, at a certain period in time, you've got to start worrying about the state planning. Uh, where is this? Uh, <clears throat> where is the estate going to go? Uh, should you be gifting now versus waiting until uh, you pass on for the heirs to get it? Should you be uh, helping the your heirs to uh, start businesses and things of this nature? Uh, while uh, you can still, while they're thinking of, while they need the money and thinking about uh, getting involved in businesses, how how prepared are they with these type of things? So all those things are basically part of financial planning, and that, that basically that's what we do for our clients. And uh, yeah, we've been doing it for the last 30, over 30 years now. So. It's a it's a case where things may events may be new to you, but they're not new to us uh, from the clients that we see. So this is Jim McAleese. Uh, you can give us a call over our toll free number. It's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. That number is one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. If you got some questions, uh, give us a call and uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. 
Each week, we take calls from people just like you who have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, however, Jim can't answer all your questions because of time restraints and the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstones Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstones Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, finding your next home, planning for retirement, finding the right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow with Jim Magalies. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call. We have that toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. You know, we started this show. We talked about <clears throat> what happened this week. And the big event this week was Tuesday's uh, uh, Consumer Price Index Report. And uh, basically what happened there was that uh, people had uh, great expectations that the report would show that inflation had peaked and uh, that we were now on the downside and uh, this was going to be uh, a case of uh, uh, we're just uh, uh, relaxed and the Federal Reserve was relaxed in its campaign to increase the interest rates and everything would be great again. Well, uh, the results didn't show that. So all of us have been watching prices go up and down. The ones we notice first are the food and the gasoline because we buy those on a regular basis. The Department of Labor keeps track of the rising prices with their consumer price index report that comes out every month. And on Tuesday, they released the uh, consumer price index report for August, and it showed we have a lot more to do in order to get inflation under control. Uh, the best way to look at the uh, consumer price index is to compare uh, this month to last month, and also to compare uh, uh, the uh, price increases from a year ago for this month versus the price increases a year ago. Uh, for last month, let's go to let's just take it a second here and go to the to the telephone. Hello, this is hello, this is Jim Ackley. Can I help you? Oh yes, hello Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Great to have you calling. Go ahead, hello? Ron. Hello. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Jim. Uh, just a question: yes, uh, Is energy is energy a good investment now? Uh, given that we might have a recession, uh, President of FedEx and uh, uh, Janet Yellen are saying could have a global recession. And I'm wondering if energy, even in, in a recession, would still be a good investment. Well, in in the yes, I, I think it's a good investment. Uh, basically, when I take a look at energy, uh, I look I see the same things you're looking at, in a sense that. Uh, uh, the uh, you know the federal uh, federal express uh, their stock prices were down something like twenty four percent because they indicated that they had missed their earnings by something like forty percent and uh, they indicated that the you know, there wasn't as much shipping they had uh, looking forward and said that hey uh, uh, there's something going on here and we we've we've seen that in other areas. But what we're seeing in energy is that right now uh, there seems to be a big push for renewable energy 
and uh, that's the windmills and the and the uh, uh, the uh, solar and things of this nature. But uh, that's all well and good, and it's all necessary. But uh, what we're seeing uh, is the, I guess the. Uh, uh, oil industry and the, the gas, natural gas, and then the oil, uh, those things are absolutely positively necessary to the uh, American economy as well as the world economy. And even if they do go through a uh, uh, the global, the globe does go through a recession in the medium to long term, uh, those energy prices will go up and up and up. Uh, one of the reasons is because uh, there seems to be, uh, with all this anti-oil and anti-coal and everything else, there seems to be a, a push not to invest in these areas. And with that lack of investing, there's going to be uh, price increases in the future uh, that'll drive the profits of these companies. So, no, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I like energy as a, uh, uh, investment. If not on the short term, in the medium to long term. I like it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much, Jim. Really appreciate uh, that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. You take care and have a good day. Now, one of the things you, one of the things you see in in the, the politics today is that we're, everything seems to be any any changes anywhere seem to be because of climate change, and the climate change uh, argument seems to be that we have to cut back on uh, uh, oil, gasoline, natural gas, uh, coal, all those things. And we have to rely upon the uh, renewable energy sources like windmills and uh, uh, solar. That's all well and good, but uh, you have to realize how big these industries really are. Uh, you know, the, 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 yeah, if, you're, if we were serious, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody in this system that's serious about the energy production. But if I take a look at energy, um, I produce, the, the world produces 96 million barrels of oil a day. That's per day. The United States um, is the world's biggest producer of oil. And the United States is uh, number one. It's followed by uh, Saudi Arabia and it produces about 11 million barrels a day, and that's followed by uh, uh, Russia, which produces about uh, uh, 9 million barrels of oil a day. So that's a big thing, and we've got oil, we've got natural gas, which is in billions and billions of cubic feet. We're supplying natural gas right now uh, to Europe, by liquefying it and shipping it over in liquefied containers to Europe. Uh, then you've got coal, then you've got nuclear, then you've got hydroelectric, then you've got your renewables in terms of solar and, and wind. And all of those things, uh, you have to take into account of, well, do you have enough uh, to meet the energy demands in the future? So you're projecting energy demands in the future, and you're saying, okay, I've got to make investments to provide these uh, energy sources and at the same time reduce the carbon content of these energy sources or how to to utilize them and put less carbon uh, in terms of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So to me, that is an enormous problem and an enormous issue, and what you see in the news things is just some little burps that, you know, that take about five seconds, and it really doesn't show you the thought that's been put into, okay, if I'm going to 
uh, shut down oil or natural gas, uh, make sure that I have the renewables up the scale, and I have the grid that's capable of moving electricity around the system so that I haven't gotten uh, blackouts and things of this nature. So to me, uh, we seem to have a lot of uh, a lot of commotion coming from the politicians and also from the news media uh, with regard to the urgency of this. And it is urgent, but it has to it's important too, and it has to be done correctly. So uh, well, I don't want to preach on that. <laughs> There's enough preaching on that kind of stuff, but you have to take into account that you are working with a huge the energy system in terms of oil and natural gas and and uh, uh, coal and atomic energy and hydro and the renewables is a huge system and it has to function uh, without the blackouts and brownouts and everything else. And it's going to take a a lot of time and not just excited about things and uh, doing things without thinking them through. So this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host, Jim McAlee. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. That's 1-888-281-1110. Give us a call. Hi, Jim. Sorry I stepped on your toes there. Sorry. Hi, how are you? Good. Good, good, good. We have a question um, this morning from Barb. And Barb wants to know if I claim Social Security retirement benefits at age 62, can I enroll in Medicare as well? Uh, generally speaking, no. Uh, you can, you can, the only time you can get into Medicare at age 62 is if, if you're on Social Security disability insurance and if you've been on it for at least two years, then you can get onto, uh, Medicare, or if you're on Social Security disability insurance because you suffer from, uh, a, you know, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, that what is it, ALS, um, the two-year requirement is waived in that case, or if you suffer from end-stage renal uh, disease, you could get on the uh, Medicare uh, at age 62, but otherwise. Your initial enrollment period for Medicare is uh, age 65, and uh, you should start enrolling about three months prior to that. So that's when your uh, the official initial enrollment period for Medicare for your Medicare opens you know, three months before your 65th birthday. Uh, if you're already receiving Social Security benefits when you turn 65 then the uh, Social Security Administration, which also handles Medicare enrollment, they'll send you out an information package in your Medicare card at the start of the sign-up period, and you'll be automatically enrolled in Medicare Part A, which is the hospitalization part of it, and the uh, Medicare Part B, which is the uh, health insurance in the month that you turn 65. In the meantime, before you get to Medicare, if you're looking for uh, other options for health insurance, you know, the bridge the gap uh, before you become eligible for Medicare, uh, you might look at the uh, Affordable Care Act, and depending upon your financial and marital uh, situation, uh, 
There, 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 there could be a good case there for coverage through your spouse's uh, workplace plan or things of this nature. So, or even Medicaid. So, but uh, just keep in mind if you're not on Social Security when you turn 65, you're going to have to enroll in Medicare yourself. It's not, uh, or it's not automatic. So, uh, you know, some people. Uh, they run into that in terms of if they're uh, they're still working and uh, they figure, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to um, take uh, uh, my Social Security, so they'll sign up for Social Security because they're still working. And uh, uh, but you should sign up for Medicare. Some insurances you have. Uh, I've seen it where. If you take a look at the what the company requires you to do, in some cases the company requires you to sign if you're over 65 to sign up for Medicare Part A. You know Medicare Part A, a is the part that uh, is quote free. <laughs> we've been we've been paying for it for since uh, I don't know mid 60s, uh, but we don't have to pay a monthly payment for it. It's Medicare Part. B that you've got to pay for. So they require that, hey, you've got to sign up for Medicare A. So check with your your HR department in terms of your health insurance and see whether you actually are mandated to sign up for the Medicare Part A. Okay. I think we've got another caller. Uh, excuse me? Hello. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Jim. Jim McAleese. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Perfect. My question, yes, regarding inflation, because inflation right now is making people nervous, but can you talk a little bit about how whenever we get inflation numbers, it reflects what happened in the past and really what, um, can you also talk more about what investors should be looking at going forward in the leading indicators? to show that the economy has the ability to still grow and high inflation, you know, can't stay with us forever. <laughs> True. True. Hey, you, you've got a, you've got a wonderful question there. I'm going to try to uh, give you some input, but you, you stay with me. And if I'm not uh, covering what you want to cover, you, you jump in there again. Okay. Let's, okay. When I take a look at uh, the, the, the two uh, numbers, consumer price index numbers that are important. One's the uh, what happened this past month. Okay, so for instance, we just got the numbers for uh, uh, August, and the numbers for August said that over the one month period, the uh, consumer price index increased one tenth of a percent. And that that's the all what they call the all inclusive uh, consumer price index that includes food and fuel, and that increased one tenth of a percent. And we say, okay, if we if we stick with that, that, that times twelve uh, will give us one point two percent. Well, uh, we also take a look at the other consumer price number, and that is. It shows that it went up 8.3% over the last 12 months. So they're, what they're doing there is comparing August of 2021 to August of 2022, and prices have gone up 8.3% over that period of time, and they've gone up one-tenth of 1% from August, from July to August. Okay. Uh, those are good numbers. They make us feel good because the month before, uh, the numbers were basically uh, 8.5% increase over the 12-month period, and the inflation was flat for uh, uh, July, from July to, from, from June to July. It, it, the problem we had this Tuesday was not in the big number in the, in the all-inclusive consumer price index. It was in the core 
consumer price index where we uh, eliminate food and fuel. At that point, we're showing that in one month, the the uh, inflation went up six tenths of one percent, whereas the previous month it only went up three tenths of one percent. You know, from June to July, it only went up three tenths of one percent, but from July to August, it went up six tenths of one percent. And then, if we go back to previous month, and we show that in July, from July of uh, 21, 2021 to July of 2022, uh, the core CPI rose 5.9 percent. Whereas this last one that we just got rose 6.3%. So that's telling us that inflation is not under control. And when you do take a look at the report, the Consumer Price Index report, what it shows you is it shows you uh, uh, food, and food is about 14%, and it will break down the food part into uh, buying food as a grocery. Uh, what kind of food you're buying, stay, uh, meats, poultries, cereals. It'll also tell you what the increases have been uh, for a food that you buy at the restaurants and things of this nature. So it'll, for each one of those items in the Consumer Price Index, it'll show you what that price has gone up over the last 12 months and price has gone up over the last uh, month. So each one of those things, you go right down through the list. Uh, energy is probably about 8% of our basket. Food's about uh, 13 or 14% of our basket. Uh, then you get into uh, shelter, shelter, uh, which is, includes rents and, and home ownership and things of this nature. That's about one-third of the consumer price index basket. So you go through all of these numbers, and these numbers are basically showing that uh, uh, even though food and fuel, uh, they fluctuate widely, in order to cure inflation, we've got to get those core numbers down. We've got to get the... Uh, the um, uh, amount that we're spending on, uh, on medical services, the amount that we're spending on shelter, all these things. And they will come down uh, with time because they've ramped up. And uh, if we're patient, uh, probably uh, with the, what the Federal Reserve is doing right now is putting the uh, increasing the interest rates and increasing the interest rate is going to slow the economy down. And you are going to see uh, increases in unemployment. Uh, you are going to see uh, uh, decreases in company earnings. And it's just a necessary, uh, a necessary remedy in order to get inflation down to where we want it. And the Federal Reserve says, hey, we want it at 2%, but the long-term average for inflation, the 50-year average is 3%. So my impression is that if, we, if the Federal Reserve can keep increasing this rate, and I, I mean they're going to increase this overnight rate probably up to 4.5% by the first quarter of next year you're going to see inflation start to come down. And uh, uh, when it gets close to 3%, I think you're going to see, and that should be that should be sometime in the middle of next year. When it gets down to 3%, I think you're going to see the stock market begin to turn around because they're going to anticipate, they can, they can follow the inflation rate just as well as we can. And they're going to anticipate it and start to move up beforehand. So what the Federal Reserve is doing is going to cause more unemployment, more uh, less profits. It's going to be some uh, tough medicine uh, 
but most of the most of us won't really feel that bad through it. It will get to uh, the point sometime in the middle of next year where inflation is down to somewhere around three percent. Uh, at that point, uh, uh, I think the Federal Reserve will start to ease up and become our friend again rather than our enemy. And uh, the stock market should begin to anticipate that and move ahead of that by maybe two or three months. So I would expect uh, uh, all this be- all this tough medicine to go on through uh, the rest of this year into the first quarter of next year, but then uh, the Federal Reserve should re- should relent uh, starting probably in the second quarter of next year. But the the uh, the rates, the interest rates, are going up. You saw uh, the thirty-year uh, mortgage rate go from three percent to. Uh, Six uh, percent, and uh, it's slowing down home construction. It's slowing down uh, uh, home sales in the real estate. And and one of the things you one of the things you mentioned, Sarah, uh, if you take a look at what has happened to consumer price in the the consumer prices since January, I'll give you the numbers. You just you can copy them down if you want to. In January, the consumer price index was 7.5%. That was over the last 12 months ending in January. In February, it was 79 March, it was 85 April, it was 83 So, hey, you could say, oh, well, that must have been the crest. That must have been the peak in inflation. But no, in May, it got up to 86 In June, it got up to 91 and now, and then in July, it came, started to come down 8.5, and then in August is 8.3. So we got a long way to go, and by long way, we're going to be uh, through this fall and through the first quarter of next year. Uh, uh, the Federal Reserve is going to be standing on these breaks, and uh, it's tough medicine, but it's necessary. Otherwise, we're going to end up like we did in the 70s, when uh, in 1970, uh, Arthur Burns was the head of the Federal Reserve at that point, and he ran into inflation, and uh, he started to raise the rates, and then he caused the recession, and then he blinked. The Federal Reserve blinked at that point and began to cut their rates. And that's known as Burns's blunder, and uh, that set the stage for the rest of the seventies, where inflation really wasn't controlled at, at the start. At the start, and it got up to sixteen percent by the end of the seventies. And at that particular point, uh, Paul Volcker, who had been head of the Federal Reserve, cured inflation, and he cured inflation by raising the overnight rates. To twenty percent, that when you get up to twenty percent, uh, that shuts the economy down, and you have unemployment that goes up to unemployment in in that recession in the eighties got up to ten percent. So the thing numbers we're talking about right now are small compared to what they saw in the seventies. Inflation numbers are reasonably smaller, and if we take action now. Uh, we won't be having to raise uh, the rates too much more than four and a half percent versus twenty percent, like they did in uh, the nineteen eighties. So, did I? I hope I hope I answered your question, Sarah. But I'm out of time. So, thank you. For, That's good. Thank you very much That's- for calling. Thank you, Jenna. This is this is great. In fact, that actually gives investors something to look forward to. That as we get closer to a stable number of 3% inflation per year, because the market often does get ahead of the economy. So that gives investors then something to look forward to with the stock market, being able to anticipate that and turn itself around. So this is great. Thank you so much for the detailed explanation and you take care. 
You take care, sir. All right. <laughs> well, I, I uh, you know, with regard to what we're saying is in terms of Sarah's question, uh, we have a ways to go, but it, it, it's necessary. In other words, uh, we've got a playbook, and, and basically when Powell, uh, Jerome Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve, uh, talked at that Jackson Hole Symposium at the end of August. He laid it out, and he he referenced uh, the 70s, the 1970s, as his playbook. And you could see it. We either conquer it now, or we fluff it off, and then we end up with more inflation, and it gets higher in the future. So now's the time to do it, and it's got to be done. So... Uh, we'll get through it, and uh, we'll get to the other side. We'll be okay. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. Good morning. Today, the sun is shining. The air is crisp. This is a great day for walking, riding, biking, gardening, whatever. It's a great day to enjoy living. In spite of the world, like inflation and hurricanes and forest fires and politics and all the rest of it, and our own problems, uh, let's set them all aside and let's enjoy ourselves. Let's be happy. The truth is, there's no better time to be happy than right now. And if not now, then when? Your life is always filled with challenges. It's best to admit this to yourself and decide to be happy anyway. One of my favorite quotes comes from Albert, Alfred Souza. He said, quote, For a long time, it seems to me that life was about to begin real life, but there was always some obstacle in the way, something to be gotten through first, some unfinished business, time still to be served or debt to be paid, then life would begin. At least, at last, it dawned on me that these obstacles were my life. This perspective helped me see that there's no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. So treasure every moment that you have and treasure it because you shared it with someone special, special enough to spend your time with. And remember that time waits for no man. And there's no better time to be happy than right now. So until we meet, be happy. And until we meet next week for more of Get Rich Smoke, may God protect you and keep you safe. You've been listening to Get Rich Slow with Jim McAleese of Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. Located at 47149 Bursley Road, Wellington, Ohio, 44090, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc., The materials Jim shares is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Past performance does not guarantee future performance. All the views expressed are those of James McAleese and Cornerstone's Consultants, Inc., and not those of Next Financial Group, Inc. Next Financial Group does not provide tax advice. The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index composed of the common stocks of 500 leading companies in leading industries of the U.S. economy. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price-weighted index of 30 actively traded blue-chip stocks. To make an appointment with Jim regarding your own finances, call 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.